0: Welcome back to Campbell Conversations with your host, Colin Campbell, and today is episode 173 of the podcast, and I'm joined in conversation by Simon Jeffries. Simon is a former Special Forces operative and the co-founder of The Natural Edge. Simon spent eight years and three tours in the Special Forces and now works with clients to eliminate stress, increase energy, build resilience, and take back control of their life. During the conversation, expect to learn about Simon's Special Forces selection, how mindset is a skill, the big lessons he learned during his military career, including the process of moving average. Beyond this, I think it's important to ask about Simon's life outside of the military, and he talks about returning to civilian life, struggling to find fulfillment in a management consultancy career, his next business that actually failed, and what he now does as a coach in the natural edge. Simon brings real honesty and insight to this conversation, and I'm sure you'll enjoy the practical mindset lessons that he brings from the forces and the work that he's done afterwards, but also the more philosophical considerations that we end up touching on at the end of this podcast around our lives, our purpose what our meaning really is and what actually matters when it comes to living on this earth. We have a new sponsor for the show coming in March as well as some returning ones. But if you wish to sponsor today's podcast and future episodes, you can do so by doing two things. The first of those is completely free and that is copying and pasting the link of this episode to a friend or family member or colleague who might enjoy this episode and that helps to get the show out there. Or you can hit the link in the show notes, which is the very bottom and buy me a coffee. You can donate between five to 15 pounds, which I reinvest back into the show for equipment clip production, studio time, and really just increasing the size and scale of what we do here at Canberra Conversations. This is the second episode we've had this week, and next week the plan is to have an episode on Wednesday and Sunday as well, so we're doubling up and really pushing forward. The reaction to the conversation with Max Dickens about male loneliness was incredible, and I thought uh, the... The hype around the podcast had peaked until I released episode with Sue Ammon, and he told his story of being a cancer survivor at the age of 17 and going on to build the seven-figure businesses that he does now. And I am so grateful for the continued engagement with the podcast and I'm sure this is going to be another one where you're going to want to send Simon and I messages about what you took away from it and share it with family, friends and people who might benefit off the back of the conversation as well. The music's going to play and you're going to hear from Mr. Simon Jeffries. <phone rings> Simon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining me.
1: Pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
0: And some of my guests that have joined the military, they tended to join immediately after school. It was something that they always wanted to do immediately. But I know from your story that you decided to go into further education and then join the military at 24. Was the military always on the cards or was there a reason that you perhaps delayed it for a little bit longer than some of the others?
1: Yeah, military was always on the cards. It's all I ever wanted to do. But I also, I I think because I had that set in my mind, I almost didn't feel a rush to do it. I wanted to do some other things first. So traveled, went to uni and then decided to join. And personally, I found, I think going in slightly older is definitely beneficial just because you have some life experience. Like I really take my hat off. To anyone that does join straight out, you know, particularly 16, 17, going straight from essentially school into the military is a big jump. Um, Whereas being 24, having that bit of life experience for me personally, it it worked well.
0: What were those boxes that you needed to tick beforehand then? You went to you went to university, you went traveling. What were what were the things that were maybe on the on the Simon Jeffries bucket list that needed to happen before you said, right, I'm going to go after this, this other purpose of mine?
1: I think it was just enjoying life, honestly, just, um, yeah, just traveling. Went and lived in Canada, did a snowboard season there. Was working uh, in a hotel, cleaning, cleaning hotel rooms, earning no money. But, you know, just just living the uh, uh, you know, abroad, enjoying the season, I guess, the season seasonal lifestyle. Um, and then same with uni, did history, which I really enjoyed. And then after that, went to New Zealand and did a load of outdoor um, sort of training slash teaching and traveled around the north and south islands and then it was after that i was kind of like yeah okay ready to now go and get started
0: and it was the was it the royal marines that you you looked at initially and i understand you you initially applied to be an officer but didn't quite go to to plan what happened there
1: yeah so originally so it was the royal marines joined the royal marines and originally i was going to join as an officer and the first thing very first thing you have to do is a psychometric test pretty basic at the careers offices before you even get close to, uh, to even walking through the gates, of the Royal Marines. And I failed the maths portion of it. Maths has never been my strongest suit. And the, the, the choice was, okay, you can either wait six months and try it again for the next batch, or you can just join as, a, you know, a recruit as a, a, as a soldier. And for me, it wasn't even, I didn't even debate it for more than probably five minutes. I was like, no, I'll just join. Um, just because I wanted to get started. And retrospectively, having been in and the experience that I had, and obviously you'll never know the other experience if you've taken that other path, but for me, it was great. And it opened up more opportunities. There's The one thing I will say about the sort of non-commissioned route is there's a lot more opportunities just because of the amount of jobs that are open to you that aren't necessarily open um as an officer this uh, the career path is slightly narrower so it worked in my favor in the end
0: it's funny how sometimes things don't go to plan and then you maybe take i wouldn't say knee jerk but you take the the less favored path and it actually opens you up to more of the things that you're actually grateful for further down the line
1: yeah i mean it's it's very you know none of us have got a crystal ball so we don't know what the other path would have looked like i think i wrote about this the other day all you can do is make decisions as much as possible based on your values and the direction that you wish to go in life and then make the best of whatever opportunities present themselves and if you always do that it's far more likely that you're going to have a good journey along that path that you've chosen as opposed to not
0: you said you made that decision very quickly, but I wonder, is it is it easy to do that when you've maybe got friends, family around you who have maybe seen you get this university degree, go travelling, and almost there's an expectation that you would go into the forces as an officer because of that pre-work that you've done? I guess you said that you made that decision very quickly, but I know that a lot of us have external influences that we need to satisfy listen to before we move forward with the decision.
1: I have always been quite well, probably very independent from, um, yeah, not that I've got a great family and supportive, but I don't think I even bounced off anyone. I just made the decision. I was like, is this in line with me? Yeah. It feels right. Yeah. Go for it. Um, so I've kind of, I guess lucky in that sense. I'm not sure exactly where that's come from. I think, I don't know, maybe it is the values and ethics. Obviously we absorb a lot from our environment and growing up, um, And my parents, so I grew up on a small farm, parents were farmers, had a very, you know, that's what they loved. It's very hard work and it definitely was not very much money in it. Um, But perhaps absorbing that clear purpose matched with hard work and doing something that you're passionate about to me because the military was that path. I think it was less about the status of being an officer versus it was just to be a Royal Marine in my head, you know, the original path was, okay, I'm gonna go to college, I'm gonna go to university. It makes sense to apply as an officer. Right, that path's closed. Do I wanna wait six months? No, I wanna join now. Okay, take that decision. So it it was kind of a simple decision chain in line with my values to get to that answer quite quickly.
0: That level of clarity is so important. I think anyone listening to this can start to look at choices that they've made and maybe understand the ones that they can make quicker as you did. They're probably the ones that are the the most in line with their value set, as you said, rather than maybe the ones that they hum and haw on or have to spend a lot of time deliberating. It's because there's not such a clear understanding of this is where I'm going to go and this is what I'm going to take action on. Because maybe they haven't done that self work that it seems that at quite a young age you were you were very set on what the what the why was.
1: Yeah, it's obviously it does as we get older and the more complicated life becomes and we have people dependent on us etc and the relationships around it it's it makes those decisions it can make them more complicated but the very start point and what most people don't take the time to do and what we work on a lot with people through the coaching is very few people stop and actually look at how they want their life to be and are more proactive with driving it forwards as opposed to it's very easy to slip into you know finish school, get a job, fast pace of life, you're on the treadmill. and then you you just sort of retrospectively assign who you are based on what's happened to you as opposed to no, this is who I want to be, and therefore I'm going to drive that forward by making conscious choices. And that's everything from very small choices that we make day to day food we eat, the people we interact with, the exercise that we do, all the way through to the bigger ones of this is the career I want to do, this is the job I want to have, this is where I want to live, this is how I want my life to look in one year, three years, five years, whatever it is. So it's a scale. It doesn't have to be, again, that's something people slip into. They maybe avoid doing this work, well, for two reasons. One, because they feel like they're going to have to make massive changes when they do it, but perhaps also you know, being honest with yourself and perhaps the answers that come up mean that you are going to have to make hard choices around perhaps a relationship that you're in or a job that you're in. And often it can be hard to confront that. However, the alternative is you carry on living a life that actually you're not completely content with. And you're going to see the repercussions of that across all of your life. And you're going to wake up one day and go, why didn't I change this 20 years ago? Um, It's very easy to say it could be Hard to put into practice, and again, it's a it's a process. A lot that we work with people um, to sort of help navigate through that.
0: Absolutely, I, I hosted a gentleman called Elliot Wise, who's like a, a serial entrepreneur. I think he owns like eleven different businesses, and he was speaking about how many people will kind of willingly experience like micro pain every single day in the things that they don't enjoy, rather than. And the, the analogy that we ended up kind of finishing on in the podcast was like ripping the plaster off in the way that you're talking there. Like that really hard conversation to maybe remove yourself from a job or a relationship is going to hurt a lot. It's going to sting like a bitch. Whatever phrase you want to use, it's going to sting. But if you stay in it, it's just going to be constant pain for such a long period of time that will probably compound to be greater than the the, the kind of everyday annoyance or the, the that one removal that w- w- would do for you. And like you say, that self-work will probably have an element of pain and discomfort. But if we lean into that, then we actually enable ourselves to have much more deep pleasure further down the line. And I want to understand a little bit more around your progress during the Royal Marines and then your progress up towards the the, the Special Forces. How long were you, quote unquote, what I would call a normal Royal Marine before you moved towards the Special Forces?
1: Yeah, just one point of what you said there. The, the best summary that I've heard from it before that is easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. And that is if we avoid the bigger or the, the harder decisions, the ones that are uncomfortable for us and we shy away from those, we're going to pay a price for it. Whereas if you are willing to pay that price up front and make those hard and comfortable choices, you will reap a reward for that in how your life looks long term. Well and again, can be easy to say, but the more we practice it and we'll probably get onto this but all of these things are just skills mindset is a skill set and the more that we practice them the easier it becomes to do these things um on the yeah so the Royal marine so i joined i only really did a year as a kind of general duties marine and then i always had the goal of going for selection but i didn't feel like i had enough experience at that point to go for it so i first of all applied to be an SFC, so Special Forces Communicator, which is essentially you're still a Royal Marine but you're attached to the SBS doing tactical signals for them. Um, so I did that uh, and then I was in that role for a couple of years and then I applied for selection.
0: And when you apply for selection I've spoken to Lindsay Bruce in the podcast who albeit was in the SAS rather than the, 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 the SBS, he described what that journey was like and i wonder from your perspective like how how is that for you because i know everyone has different challenges some people get through in the second time some people and um, they don't breeze it but they're almost feel like they were born to make their way through something as challenging as that what was your own experience simon
1: my biggest takeaway from it is it comes back to that purpose piece it's such a testing six months that the only way you get through it is by having a very strong internal driver, i.e. nothing else can matter. Like nothing else in life can be as important as that. And you, you see it similar, you see it mirrored across elite athletes, musician, whatever, any, any kind of level, high level of success requires a high degree of selfishness and sacrifice. But the key thing that I take away from it, it's not, I don't term it as sacrifice because when you're on the right path it you're not sacrificing anything like i enjoyed i would say i've got as much enjoyment and satisfaction out of the journey and training towards selection as i did passing it because i was driving towards something that may meant a huge amount to me and that's a a really important takeaway because With goals, if you're always offsetting your satisfaction and happiness to the end point and you think that when you get there, that is when you're going to have made it, that's when you're going to feel happy or content, you're not, you're going to get there and move the goalposts. If you're not happy in the process, if you're not finding that happiness and satisfaction already, it's very unlikely you're going to find it at the end as well. So to me, that journey, it was very hard, but it was very satisfying. And I went into it with the uh, mantra or ethos that there was just no way I was coming off it unless I got I got a fail. So I failed. I didn't meet the standards or there was a medical reason injured myself or whatever. Then I wasn't going to come off that course no matter what happened. And that's that's the way that I approached it
0: it's a deal that you'd made with yourself in advance and like you say that that was your why to go through the the hardest parts of the hills the the jungle and all the psychological and the physical challenges that that come with that but even I suppose in those moments where you've got your why there what were the times where you were probably the most challenged during the process
1: the the jungle is definitely the most challenging part of it the the hills phase of it is it's just to get your plane ticket to the jungle. It's, re- it is hard. When I say it's not hard, it is hard. It, you know, there's, there's obviously a physical, um, it's physically taxing more than anything. It's boring, like it's the same thing day in day out. And it's just monotonous in your own head on the Hills in shit terrain and <laughs> adverse weather. Um, but it's compared to the jungle. It's not. It's they don't even care who you are at that point. You just you're just a number. It's, the hills is just there to trim the numbers down to a sustainable toy point to take to the jungle, and the jungle is selection. Like once you don't really lose anyone who passes the jungle. You don't really lose people past that point. You know, people talk about the escape and evasion. It's like it's not again. It's not hard really. um It's just just part of the process, and then continuation training um so the jungle really is the test and it's it's very hard to describe to anyone what it's like because it's such a harsh taxing environment anyway just to live and operate there when you throw in the pressure of selection on top of that it's like you're on your limit every day for the entire time Um, and so it just tests every I guess part part of you as a person physically is very, very demanding, you know, in that heat, the humidity, carrying loads up to 140 pounds sometimes while doing tactical work. Um, the mental side of it's your internal self-talk and a huge part that gets a lot of people is you don't get very much feedback through that process. And if you think about it, for most of our lives, we're always getting feedback on what we're doing. And so when that's taken away, and because you're operating in a harsh environment where you can't help but make mistakes, everyone messes up and makes mistakes. For some people, they really get in their head about that and they fail themselves because they come to the conclusion, well, I'm going to fail anyway because I've messed up on this occasion doing whatever it was. And so what's the point in suffering for another few weeks and so they pull themselves off and then inevitably when they go for the interview their sort of exit interview and asked how they thought they were doing they're then told actually no you were you know you were on for a pass you were doing pretty well but lindsay spoke themselves.
0: to me about um like a ds like scribbling in their notebook while looking at you yeah and that almost being like an element of psychological warfare where you're thinking is it a positive note he's writing? Is it a negative note? Is it even about me? It might be about the guy that's next to me or by me or in front of me, or it might just be that he's not writing anything and he's just doing this to see how I respond to this level of pressure, which if I'm thinking about the kind of people that I would want out in the front line for for, for, for Britain in these uh, in these exceptional circumstances, it's probably the people that can put up with that level of, of stress and strain, but I can completely understand that element of we are so used to feedback particularly as a society nowadays that when that's removed your own internal dialogue just probably runs wild at times and getting that under control is something that i think must be an incredibly valuable skill that you now have
1: yeah and it's again it's something we try and teach through our coaching because in reality it doesn't matter it it does not matter you can't control that that's an external factor how that ds is perceiving you what was writing down is completely out of your control You can influence it in the way that you act, but you can't control it. And so letting go of that and just accepting it and bringing the focus back to you and what you are doing and making sure that in every action you take, you are doing your best. And yes, as part of that, you will make mistakes because we all do, but putting that aside, having the feedback loop of learning, it's like, right, okay, I didn't do well on that, reflect on it, how can I improve next time? And continually doing that and striving to do your best is going to give you the best chance of success. And it just all comes back to process. The more you apply that to anything, the better results you will get. It's completely pointless to worry about those things that are out of your control.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm entirely on board. When I think of Simon Jeffries and the content you've been putting out there over the the kind of six or seven months that I've been following you very closely, you speak a lot about moving average. How did that come come to be? And when did you create that concept?
1: Yeah, that's probably that is probably the single most powerful concept through all the coaching programs we've done over the years. That's been one constant. And that's the one thing we always get feedback from when people make the shift to a moving average ethos, things really start to change. So moving average is basically if you imagine a lot of people live in what we call boom bust cycles. So, you know, a good example is let's say you want to get fit and lose some weight and so you you decide right you know this is it this is the time i'm going to make that massive change and you find that what you perceive as the perfect program and you start on it and it's great for a week or so but then you know work gets busy one of your kids gets sick something happens you get ill and so you miss one of the meals you're meant to eat you miss a workout or something like that and so you very quickly fall into the mindset of oh, i've already missed that one so what's the point in this one And before you know it, you've just thrown it all out the window. It's very much an all or nothing approach. Either you do everything perfectly or you don't do anything at all. And so you then just back to square zero and you stay at that point until the pain gets acute enough and you're like, no, I've got to change something. And the cycle just repeats. And so it's up, down, up, down all the time. Whereas moving average is essentially that you do not need perfection to make progress. All you need is to consistently enough find the small wins that will keep your moving average positive rather than negative and so okay you don't have 60 minutes to do that workout you planned but you've got 20 minutes that you can do some components of it or maybe it's just going for a walk that's still adding to your moving average if you if you always think about it in these small wins and if that adds or takes away from your moving average it makes it far easier to to keep that consistency and when you deconstruct anyone that is successful in what they're doing all the way from elite level just down to you know you and i normal people going through their day-to-day lives you'll find that it's those small actions done consistently as opposed to these big massive shifts that make all the difference and you know like take the eight-week diet plan or whatever maybe it takes you 16 weeks or 32 weeks well who cares like we're not (laughs) not like a finish line with any of the stuff anyway it's not like you can do a diet plan or fitness plan then that's it you're there it carries on for the rest of your life so in reality it doesn't matter and that's the other part of it is just getting rid of those arbitrary time frames where you feel like you have to do things and instead look at building a lifestyle of behaviors and habits as opposed to one-off events and milestones
0: the all-or-nothing nature of how a lot of people approach it in that boom and bust phrase that you used is is it is, is very striking to me because i do think you see people turn up the dial all the way on lots of different areas of their life and it's not sustainable as you've said it's an eight-week burst it's a six-week shred whatever terms you get thrown around from a marketing perspective whereas if you can like you say build in some lifestyle habits that are almost like and one of the terms that i've liked over the years is non-negotiables so like there are certain things that just always happen so like you say your work meeting overruns and it means that you're going to have to squeeze in the 60 minute session, but it's going to be 35 minutes. Well, guess what? I'm going to do a portion of it that I know is going to give me the most bang for my buck and the accessory movements that ideally I would do. They've not happened today because unfortunately that's just not been possible, but I've not canceled the gym entirely. And like you say, maybe like you you go, you go to work and you've forgotten the, the meal prep lunch that you had. Okay. You don't need to throw the baby out with the bath water and just decide that you're going to go and buy a buy a McDonald's or a KFC or whatever's whatever's there you're going to buy something that's relatively equivalent to try and maintain the average above what you were what you would have done in the in the worst case scenario
1: yeah it's exactly that it's it's it is the anti it's the antithesis of that all or nothing mindset and the other the the other part that we add into it is a growth versus a fixed mindset so that is basically just the understanding that you will make mistakes. There's going to be ups and downs and plateaus. It's not going to be a perfectly straight line upward trajectory as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is really about that all or nothing. And again, perfection that you have to have perfection to get the results that you're looking for. And it's just not the case
0: from a a growth and a fixed mindset perspective do you think people can move more towards a growth mindset or do you think we're very much um how would you describe it nature versus nurture in, in in that regard
1: i think we've all got base personality traits however there's a huge part of it massive part of it is this changeable like we've all got i haven't come across anyone that's you know reached their limit in any of these areas because most of us don't spend enough time working on them um usually generally with fixed and growth mindsets it's not that we're one or the other it's it varies in different parts of our life and it can evolve and change throughout our lives i for example was very much i had a, had a great growth mindset when it came to work career the military business whatever it is the understanding of we're not fixed there will be mistakes and you can prove everything whereas on a more sort of emotional relationship level, I was definitely more fixed. It was very much the, well, this is who I am, take it or leave it, you know, this is it. it, either works or it doesn't. And learning to recognize that and then, you know, have uncomfortable conversations actually, talk things through, start to practice changing how I behave and communicate and the rest of it in the same way that I would towards work. Funny old thing, relationships improved. So the first part or the first stage in that process of change is just recognizing where you may have that fixed mindset where you're either looking for perfection or you know the often phrase is well that's just how i am i'm just this way like if you're using a phrase around your health in terms of that or wealth or relationship or any area of your life that's a good indicator that actually that's probably not truth that's just a belief that you have and it's just a fixed mindset but there will definitely be um room in there to start making changes
0: there's lots of self-fulfilling prophecies when it comes to our self-talk like you say oh i'm bad with money i'm never able to save Uh, i've never been able to stick to a diet the relationships piece oh i'll always be single or oh um i always get mugged off or cheated on or whatever term you want to use i find it very interesting that we sometimes have like you say different elements of openness and willingness to change and grow in different environments and there's there's probably lots of people that you encounter like particularly professionals in their 40s that have optimized for this growth-minded excellent like career that they've built in or a business that they've built but they've neglected like their health or their body or their mind and that's where you're like well do you know how successful you've been in this environment i wonder if you could apply some of the the mindset that you've had in this environment to this other this other element of your life and this other facet and turn the dial in a positive direction in that way and I've had this conversation quite recently, um, over the last over a number of episodes with uh, like different dating coaches and relationship coaches. Cause a lot of the people that listen to a self-development podcast were maybe optimized for health, fitness, money, business. And then we don't think about the relationships aspect. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you you brought that up, aspect up as well in terms of something that you've looked at on a personal basis too.
1: Yeah, it, it really it's the self-fulfilling prophecy because you essentially reinforce so all of us will always act out of our identity, i.e. how we see ourselves and how we interpret the world, which is different for every single person. And the stories that you have about yourself, you use to navigate the world. You know, I'm liberal, I'm conservative, I'm an athlete, I'm academic, whatever it is, I'm clumsy, I'm late, I'm punctual, you know, all of these things, that the way that we see ourselves. And you will naturally look, you will bias towards things that reinforce that story. So when things happen that reinforce it, you will latch onto it, internalize it. And when they don't, you kind of just ignore it. So until you start bringing awareness to that internal piece, how do I actually see myself? How, how do I view this? Why do I react this way? You know, something that I personally do, if I find myself getting triggered by something, whatever, reading something, you know, conversation, whatever it is, my And just because I've trained this, my go-to is just to stop, step back, and ask myself, why? Why why is this frustrating you? Why is that pissing you off? Why is it annoying you? Because I guarantee it's never the surface level, you know, what that person said. It's something around the story that you have and your perception of it. And unless you understand what that is, you're never going to change. It's going to be very hard to change the results that you're getting, the way that you're behaving, basically everything in your life, until you're very aware of your stories. And that takes you confronting yourself and having an honest look at yourself and honest conversations. That's the one thing when we bring coaching clients on, when we have the initial call, the one thing that I really um, highlight is this process will only work when you're in a position to give yourself honest answers, to be honest with yourself. But to me, that's a positive and something that's freeing because we all have parts of ourselves we don't like, or we don't really want to look at or we want to change but until we're willing to do that, we aren't gonna change it and move forwards. So it's that it comes back to that hard choice is easy life, easy choices, hard life. If We try and avoid discomfort, whether looking at ourselves or in any aspect of our life, you're gonna pay a price for it. And it's just learning, and again, that in itself is a skill and something that we teach how to go towards that comfort, discomfort, how to start embracing it, how to make that process actually something positive and it's sometimes enjoyable as well, make it more of a kind of playful learning experience as opposed to something negative and um, yeah, and something negative.
0: Agreed entirely. And like you say, it definitely links back to that. Like you said, hard choices, they need to happen. And that's that's what we need to move forward. Moving average is one of the big lessons that you've clearly learned from your time in the Special Forces. But is there anything else that stands out that you've taken forward?
1: Yeah, moving average one. Uh, funnily enough, the moving average, just sort of going back to that story, that was something, so John, who I run the Natural Edge with, it sort of came from, everyone knows about the 1% You know, one percent now, the 1% wins. It became very famous after Dale, Dave Brailsford and um, talked about it with Team Sky. We actually heard it um, before that from Clive Woodward. So it was something that Clive Woodward applied to. So I think it originally came from a sailor, like back in the 80s clive woodward heard about it and he applied it to the 2003 winning england world cup team rugby world cup team and so we kind of latched onto it and started applying it in our military career and we were just always looking at okay where these percentage wins how can we just nudge things forward as opposed to this one big thing um the other things i I think growth mindset is definitely something the military instills and really it's from a phrase no cuff too tough (laughs) Everyone has, and I had it as well. When you look at the military from the outside, you imagine it's, you know, especially Special Forces, that it's, it's very slick and smooth running and everything runs very, um, yeah, very smoothly. And it's just not the case. Things go wrong all the time, and especially in the British military. Like you're patching things together with black masking tape because you have the right kit or whatever it is. But the overall attitude is, well, we'll just make it work. You know, just cuff it, make it work, make it happen. Um, and, and that happens all the time. And It's why, you know, we are successful and jobs get done because you just find a way to work around it. It's kind of like Ryan Holiday's, um, the stoic principle of the obstacle is the way. But like you just find that path through it. So that's definitely another takeaway that I took.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've seen you write about um, move order matters. What does that mean?
1: Move order, you're gonna have to enlighten me on that because I can't off the top of my head. Yeah, I I was writing about there.
0: I read it in one of your posts, and it was basically about the order in which you do things. And how, if you, for example, lead with the how would I describe it, like I think it was like you were talking about a business interaction, if you necessarily just go straight away with, right, we're going to achieve this goal immediately, like get straight to the sale, get straight to the close then that puts you in a negative position. And you were speaking about how you have to be prepared to go through the steps to achieve the additional goal. And one of the things I wonder about military personnel when they come out is the level of patience that you maybe have. And it probably comes from having to patch together some of the different things that you do along your journey to achieve the thing because things don't necessarily go from point A to point Z immediately, yeah. like perfectly. And I think it links to, as you said, no no cuff too tough, which I'm, I'll, definitely, I'll definitely write down for future as well.
1: I think actually that is something. What you've talked about there is something that's definitely become more apparent, and a lesson I've really internalised through business. Because in mo, I'd say in nearly every aspect, apart from maybe, well, yeah, apart from the physical one, business has been far harder than anything I did in the military. I take my heart to anyone who started any kind of business because it is just hard. And the difference with it is. Whereas in the military, let's say you take selection, it's very defined. It's six months and you go through it and you either make it or you don't. With business, it could take you six months. It could take you six years. It could take you 16 years to get to that place. There's no, there's just no certainty, like way more uncertainty than there is in the military in many, um, in many ways. And it comes back to that process. Like something, There's so many mistakes that we've made in business to get to where we are. I'm sure we'll make more. But when we look back and it, you know, you can easily look back and be frustrated by that, but the way we always come back to, it, it's just process. The, the moving average and process is what I come back to all the time in life, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, anything, cause it's all process. And that really grounds where like, it's just part of the process and you cannot bypass the process. You can learn lessons and improve and make sure that you're not repeating mistakes but everything is a process. In anything you do, you have to have a, have a bad first draft. Even when you're excellent at what you do, the first thing that you produce is generally not gonna be the final iteration. You're gonna do it, and then you're gonna improve upon it and learn from it, and that is just life. So again, it comes back to, if you're not enjoying the process, you're missing out on life. The way that I sometimes phrase it is, people always look at the big milestones. So, buying a house, graduating, getting a job, getting a promotion, getting married, making X amount of money, whatever it is. If you put all of those together on the timeline, they would probably make up less than 5% of your life. 95% of it is this, it's you and I having a chat, it's taking your dog for a walk, it's the day to day. And if six days out of seven, you're not generally satisfied, feel like you're on the right path, you know, things going well, you feel happy, And yes, you're going to have those bad times, but I'm just talking generally now, you're missing out on life and like changes need to be made because it's not, yeah, those milestones are great and they're good, but they last for a tiny, tiny amount of time. And then we're just back to the day to day. So I bring everything back to process, really structure my life around that and make sure I'm looking for those small, you know, just just for me, when I get up and take the dog for a walk in the morning no phone just being just being present just taking the dogs just taking in the park just enjoying whatever the weather is just kind of being finding out of peace with the world simple like, pleasures they it. really they yeah. really
0: matter don't they? they they really really do and it means that like if you if you can't enjoy going for like going for, going for a nice coffee and going for a walk or going out with a dog you're probably not predispositioned to be able to enjoy the the larger highs that maybe you chase at some point and of course you're just, uh, you're just forever chasing the next one of those if you, if you said your day-to-day is pretty miserable. And I know that you did go through a period where your day-to-day post-military was quite miserable. And you actually described working as a management consultant in London as more stressful than when you were in operations in Afghanistan. Why was that the case?
1: Because with the... And it kind of links on to something else I was going to say, what you said there, you know, you take the military... Um, and people always look at it and obviously what's publicized and what you see are the exciting things, jumping out of planes and all the rest of it. It's like 10% of what you do. So much of it, it's just fucking boring. Like shit. So like you're just hanging around for weeks and a hang, like there's loads of stuff that is just not enjoyable. But overall, because it's something that you, it's, you still, it comes back to this identity and purpose, because you're doing something that overall really ties into who you are. You still find, you know, having a laugh with the guys around you, you find enjoyment in those times. But actually a lot of the work people would hate doing. They just look at the, the sexy stuff, the exciting parts of it. Um, and so kind of moving on to the point, the question you've just asked there around why London in many ways working for a consultancy was more stressful than say operations in Afghan special forces, because in the military doing that job, That was part of who I was. That's part of my identity. It really tied into, spoke to my values. And so I was doing something that was very in line with who I was. So even when you're doing hard testing things, it's almost easy to do them because it's very in line with what you want to do. You know, you look at elite athletes, the training that they have to do to get to that level is very arduous, taxing and boring. But because it ties so strongly into who they are and their purpose, it's almost easy for them to do that, whereas it would be very difficult to do that. If that that wasn't the case for you. So when I was in London, on the face of it, it was a well-paid job. You know, living in the city should have been much easier. But because it didn't tie into who I was, who I saw myself as, and really how I wanted my life to look, the best way I describe it, it was almost like this friction on a daily basis. And the, I saw the repercussions of that across every aspect. You know. Health, my training, my consistency dropped off, diet was worse, relationships, um, you know, being more moody, more snappy, um, focus, procrastination like all of these things you see as repercussions when that, that alignment between who you are and how you're interacting with the world is, is off key. There's something out of place there.
0: Yeah, huge. I think it's so important and to break the to break the wall with the listener. You and I were speaking before we hit record about you've got a busy weekend. You're preparing some slides for an upcoming presentation, and I was joking that sometimes working over the weekend on something that you care about, it doesn't feel like work in the same way that if somebody asked you from your from your corporate job days, "Oh, Simon, can can you work a little bit later this Friday evening and pull together these slides?" It would have felt arduous. It would have felt a lot more sore than working on something that's within your value set and is almost not frictionless entirely, but a lot more friction free than if you were doing something that didn't feel like it was something you wanted or were meant to do.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, I am it's kind of this. there's two parts to this. One is I'm a big believer in having that downtime and that energy. And I think in modern Western society, we're really bad at allowing enough time to decompress, to relax, to balance the energy out with the energy in. However, and it comes back to the point of how hard it is starting and building a business, that is just going to be a necessary part of this journey for until you get to a certain place. And it kind of comes back to, it's the same as selection. It, if you don't truly believe in what you're doing, it's so hard, you just won't do it. You, you just won't do it. You won't work those extra hours. You won't give up, You know, make the sacrifices around it. But having said that, and it kind of ties back into, again, that journey I was just spoken about. You know, military, it was hard, but it was easy because it was in line with who I was. London was easy, but felt hard because it was out of alignment. After London, I <laughs> relationship ended, was stone broke because we spent all of our money trying our first business, which failed. And myself and John, who I start, was basically been on this path with around business, both moved back into my parents shared a 400 pound car and we started the natural edge from my mum's dining room table. So we're like stone broke, mid thirties, all all of your friends and peers around you are getting married and buying houses and you're living like, you know, something from the film Step Brothers. However, so on the face of it, it looked really hard and a massive kind of hit to the ego, but actually it was great. Cause it was like, well, we know the path now. As soon as we came upon the concept from the natural edge, right, like, this is it. This feels right. Yeah. This is the part. This is what we're going to be doing for the next, 50 years this is what we're going to build over our lives the end was going um, to
0: justify the means wasn't it because you could see where it was going to take you so you were willing to and i know you've said you don't necessarily like the term sacrifice but you were willing to have that period of where of course maybe people were judging from the outside oh, he's moved back to his parents he's sharing a car with john as you were saying he's he's not he's not he's he, he, he's not really living a lifestyle that many people would want to live he's not successful Exactly. Well, successful in the eyes of the beholder, yeah. exactly. But you were working towards a level of fulfillment and purpose, which it's clear you have. Now look at the way that you show up online continually with a message that you're happy to talk about. The elements of that that never feels like work because you're like, oh, well, I actually want to share this stuff. And like the way that you're able to just bring forth lessons to me constantly throughout this discussion, it's like, oh, wow, like this guy lives and breathes what he's talking about now, whereas you, you probably would never have found that even in that failed business that you had between your management consultant role and the natural edge, I wonder whether you would have been able to get the same level no. of purpose and fulfillment from that
1: no i'd say no and that was a big mistake so a classic mistake and actually i'll amend something you said there it's not the end that justifies the means it's the journey that justifies the means it's the process so we knew that because we don't even know even now we're like god knows what those will look like in 50 years who know like, that's exciting like who knows what it'll look like so we're going to be just putting in the work for another 40 years whatever it is so who knows where we'll get to um but it's we believe in what we're doing and so we know that the process and the journey is always going to be satisfying and fulfilling and the, the first business that we started we chased making money so when we first started when we began and decided that we wanted to have a business in some form we had no idea how that was going to look and we, we definitely felt you know, you read all the books on entrepreneurship and starting a business. We're like, oh, yeah. How can we start something that's going to make us loads of money? I know and you like, read uh, Tony
0: Robbins, a... The 4-Hour Work Week, and that inspired you quite Tim a lot. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, sorry, that's
1: yeah. it. Yeah, we, we, honestly, we read them all. Um, and it was so funny. You read the books and you tell yourself, oh, I'm not going to. Because they speak about all the classic mistakes that people make. Well, like, oh, we're not going to make those mistakes. We made every single mistake that we read about. And it's almost like it comes back to you almost can't bypass the process. Just. By knowing something, it can still be easy to fall into those classic traps. But the difference between that first business and the natural age, that first business was we were just chasing, oh, let's just make cash. We'll start something. We'll make loads of money and it'll be great. And obviously just completely failed. And then when we were at that kind of rock bottom, it was, well, Let's just got nothing to lose. So let's do something we actually care about, which for us has always been health performance mindset, you know, even within the military we were always looking for those, um, that edge, I guess, that, that those kind of one percenters, you know, CrossFit, um, wasn't really a big thing when I first sort of came across it in 2008, but I could see how that words that functional fitness. And now you get tactical athlete, you know, programs in the military all over the place. It just, that just wasn't a thing at all. And I remember the gym down at pool, the SBS, um, there's probably, five of us wearing vibrant five fingers and doing CrossFit type workouts. No one had heard of it Everyone else, was classic bodybuilding still. Now that entire gym is like a CrossFit box. they got those strength and conditioning coaches, but it was stuff that we were doing like 10 years before that, because we just had, we, we loved it. We had a, a, an interest in it and that's just carried over to the natural edge.
0: One of the themes we've spoken about throughout the podcast is an element of comfort within the world. And you mentioned earlier that it's important that we seek relative discomfort. What are some of the ways that you achieve that in 2023?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question because we, the um, modern world that we live in is geared to make us as comfortable as possible. Like we've made things as easy as possible for ourselves, but we're also paying a price for, for that because we're not designed to live in perpetual discomfort so you can do it in lots of different ways everything from um physical all the way through to emotional so on the physical side exercise is obviously an easy one like doing and i don't think it's something you have to do all the time obviously another mantra i kind of have is Make it as easy as possible to do the actions that you want. So if you want to improve your health and fitness, then find ways to make it enjoyable. That may be going to dance classes or boxing or whatever it is. However, now and again, I still there's, there's benefit in doing something that's really uncomfortable and tests you. And that could be as simple as like holding a plank is a great example. It's such a simple exercise that most people have done it very quickly becomes very uncomfortable. And your brain is telling you to stop long before your body wants to give in. Cold water immersion has obviously got loads of coverage in, in the past few years, and again, it's a very simple tool. For me, even more so, I don't really do it for health benefits. It's it's the the, the mental toughness, resilience-building exercise because it's not something that you ever want to do. I'd like I don't wake up and think, "Oh, I'd love to get in cold water now." You have an evolutionary mechanism that's telling you to avoid that for very good reasons for survival reasons that's not going to go away and it feels uncut that feeling of discomfort doesn't go away so there's always that voice that says don't do it but the more you can understand that voice and overcome that voice and step towards discomfort and learn to embrace it and sit with it the better you become at that skill across your life i always use the example of let's take athletes it's not that they are um, that they don't feel any less discomfort or pain than you or I or anyone else. Yes, they're fitter, so the level at which that discomfort begins is higher than for us, but pain is pain, discomfort is discomfort. What they are better at is sitting with it, being able to process it, being able to go towards it and not shy away from it, and that is a completely trainable skill. So you can do that in physical exercise, you can do that with, say, cold water. But it's the same with conversations, not shying away from uncomfortable conversations with your partner, with your boss at work, with family members, with a friend, whatever it is. Address the it's, elephant in the room. It's it's the same process across them all. Like it's you being able to sit with and process and tolerate and go towards that discomfort, and it's a really valuable skill.
0: Your, uh, your point on cold water immersion in particular speaks to me because it's reinforcing maybe an identity that you've created about yourself. So I am, a, I am a person that gets up and does a hard thing at the start of my day. And if I do it, it reinforces my discipline across all sorts of other areas throughout the rest of the day, whether it gives you health benefits or dopamine or whatever other hormones are popping off in your head. That's fantastic. That's a downstream benefit. But if you know that I, Simon, do the things that I said I was going to do when I said I was going to do them, you can apply that to replying to the emails when you said you were going to reply to writing the presentation when you said you were going to write it, presenting it in a way that you said you were going to present it. And I think if you can start your day with discomfort or at least challenge and periodically do that throughout the day, it's going to have benefits across so many different elements of your lifestyle as well.
1: It is. It's a really important piece. It comes back to that identity piece because it's, as we talked about earlier, you will always default To how you see yourself you will always default to those narratives as much as we all love to think we're going through the day making very conscious rational decisions like you know the research is clear we don't and the easiest way to see that is just ask yourself how many times do you say you're going to do something or not do something and then you do the opposite you know if it was as easy as logically knowing what to do and making those decisions and following through with it like none of us would need any coaching we'd all have six packs be millionaires living on a beach because we just follow through exactly what we need to do. It just doesn't work like that. Psychology is far more complex and it, it comes back down to those internal narratives. The um the escalators versus the stairs is a really good example of it. It, just, it, it, it does blow my mind every time you get in an airport or in London and, and it's like people hit an escalator, or even in, in the airports, the, the kind of flat travelators that move along and they hit them, they just stand still blows my mind anyway part of that is it's you know say you choose the the stairs of the escalator it's not really it's not about the calories that you're going to burn but it's about the choice that you're making in line with who you want to be you are just saying to yourself i am someone that always takes the stairs always moves and makes that conscious choice because i see myself as someone who is strong fit and healthy it's as simple as that and every time and these you make things as well
0: compound massively exactly. i think that's where you were getting to and i've, I've got excited and interrupted yeah. you but that's exactly where you get to and like like you say it doesn't if you maybe take the stairs once in the in the shopping mall or in the tube on the way in in, in, the, in, in the on the way out that's fine but it's doing it continuously and being the person that continues to make those choices that reinforces a particular level of self-image and I, I, I absolutely love that given what the military has clearly done for you simon and, and built the man that we get to speak to today Would you advocate um, compulsory service for people in the UK post-school?
1: I don't think so. I think there is, I don't know, there's, um, there's definitely a huge benefit in it, but then play devil's advocate if you just restructure the schooling system and how we teach people, you know, what's... Yeah, essentially what we're teaching, even things down to around growth and fixed mindset, like how to manage money, actually important life skills and things that are going to make a huge difference. Um, you know, do does it necessarily need to be some kind of national thought service? No, I don't think so. I think there's just I think you can take the lessons from it and embed it in many different ways. I don't think it necessarily has to be because you know, there's plenty of people that I know that are very successful, happy, great individuals, but They'd, like they'd hate the military and it wouldn't it wouldn't do anything for them so and it's the beauty of the world and society that we're all different so i don't even think it probably would be a good thing that trying to mold everyone into the same um that same fashion like i've always had quite diverse friendship groups like people in lots of different um now interesting very different things different views of the world politics like interest in from everything you know Geeky to Dungeons and Dragons. This guy that's just popped into my head now because I saw him post earlier about this online Dungeons and Dragons thing, you know, through to physical stuff and competition and sport. And I love that. I love that variety and having different people um, that I interact with it. I think, and it's something we've become guilty of now, people slip into echo chambers and they just look at mm-hmm. information and surround themselves with people or whatever it is or environments that just confirm their biases and they get hard like a much they just take these very entrenched standpoints on everything really whereas 99 percent of the things in life is way more nuanced and gray than we give credit for these black and white views and people just get so entrenched in it um and it's causing a lot of problems
0: i was really keen to hear your perspective as somebody that's serving the military because i one of my highest values is is freedom and choice and personal responsibility and app- choosing to apply ourselves in whatever domains we get into and i guess having not served in the military myself but from a a bird's eye view and, and interacting with people like yourself Lindsay or other guests that have been on the show i do see the massive benefits for it particularly for young men in a period where i think a lot of young men feel a little bit rudderless a little bit lost but i do agree that if the school system could fulfill some of those elements more so in some of these maybe developmental stages between 11 and 17 there wouldn't necessarily be the requirement for somebody to serve for a year post school in, in 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 that environment i guess i'm just thinking off the top of my head like what are the ways that we can maybe move things forward and i guess like you say not everyone is perhaps minded to want to be within a military environment but then some of the people that aren't minded to be in a military environment might benefit from some of the teachings of it even if it was for a very very short time but i think the forced element could be Is what gets people's back up and maybe makes people less willing to buy into the process too
1: yeah i mean it is i I think a lot of it comes down to that purpose imagine if you just cultivated people finding that purpose and exploring different paths like when when you find people who love what they do generally they are far more satisfied and happy you know i worked with a guy when i went to new zealand i worked in a cocktail bar there and dylan the guy that i worked with we were only in our early 20s but he like he had such a passion around making cocktails and he was always like brewing up all these different. Um, uh, I can't think of the word, like the, uh, the stuff you put in cocktail, like not just the alcohol, but the apparatus or whatever around okay. it. And he was all experimenting with different flavors and combinations. And he just, and I didn't, I had no interest in it at all, but being around him, it was interesting because just feeding off his passion and you could just apply the same to music or to sport or to the military or any of these things or writing it's like, generally if someone finds something they can really engage with it makes such a huge difference and that doesn't necessarily have to be you know what you do as a job I think some people think well you know that's great but how am I? you know I just don't have that ability I've got responsibilities the rest of it suddenly change everything and go and try and be a writer I need to bring money in but it could be as simple as a hobby starting a hobby that you do a few times a week which could be maybe it's writing a book maybe it's going to a running club a drama class like just finding something that you enjoy I have plenty of people that don't necessarily love their jobs but it pays the bills but allows them then to facilitate things that they do around it there's so many ways that we can fulfill these different aspects um, it's just thinking a bit more it, it, it's not shutting yourself down like if you want to pursue something and perhaps what you pursue or want to pursue the initial thing that pops into your head isn't realistic however it's usually a lots of different ways to elicit similar experiences, but on an easier, that is manageable and is easier. And so it's just, just taking that time to just look and like, okay, I can't do it like this, but let's have a look at different ways. How could I go towards this and actually make it manageable?
0: That hobbies aspect is something I've seen you write about as well, Simon, because as you said, not everyone has to love what they spend their 40 hours a week doing for work. But if there's activities you do outside of work, which are financially enabled by the work that you do and those lift your mood in a particular way or shape your lifestyle in a particular way outside of that then how you spend your time during work is slightly less important as long as it's not like incredibly arduous and you hate it you don't have to absolutely love it and be passionate about it if it's still maybe playing a role in your life in a building block and a foundation towards the other things that you you really care about and I, I like that you're advocating for people to have a wider range of interests and maybe than just just career like it, it, that's very short term isn't it and also, it doesn't
1: matter. Like, no one's going to get, no, you get to the end of your life, no one's going to, no one's going to give a shit that you're in special forces or that you did X, Y, Z or you had that. no one cares. Like, I think this is the thing to really, you look at people who have been, work with people at, you know, end of life palliative care and all of the, the studies that come out of that, and the books that have been written, it's people just care about the experiences they've had, the relationships they've had with the people around, like, none of the rest of it matters. Um, and even for us in our lives, <clears throat> I think this is beneficial. It can sound, try not to make it come across as kind of flippant, but it just doesn't matter. Like We're here for like an instance. Right now, there's bones of ancestors under our feet. We don't know who they were. Like, there's a few names in history that will be remembered outside of that. You know, Once we're gone 10 years, maybe a few kind of, ex- of your family may give you the odd thought, but really that's it, you're done, you're gone. It just doesn't matter, no one cares
0: what kind I'm of legacy do you want to leave
1: uh, i haven't even massively because co- it doesn't matter like <laughs> it just doesn't matter my the way that i approach it is while i'm here live as much live a good life and what i mean by that is trying to find that fulfillment purpose satisfaction but also help other people do that for the people around you those the relationships that people care about help them you know give give back give back to the community what we're doing with tne just the people we interact with um, and helping them make changes and like if we all did that and kind of let go of this other stuff just do the best we can for you know our immediate relationships and communities you know if we all did that it would have a massive effect but kind of outside of that like i said it, it just it just doesn't matter and um, i think a lot of it gets tapped into ego and, and all the rest of it and But when you kind of relax with it and just let go of it, things just become a lot simpler. Um, I find anyway, so that's my personal take on it.
0: Yeah, I can certainly certainly see that. Is that a mindset that you've always had, Simon, or has that changed in recent years?
1: Um, Probably, yeah, probably one I've just thought about more. I think, especially as we do this work and work with people and you just kind of realise that, like I said, you know, I think, going in the military and it was great that I did that and you know I loved it and got a lot out of it but it just doesn't matter you know even what we teach with mindset I think you see a lot of people just because someone has been in the military or say an elite athlete and you hear some of the stuff that's put out it's like you don't know what you're talking about That doesn't mean you know just because you've done a certain thing and people misunderstand lessons and actually how things work and yes we can take yes there are i'm not saying there aren't valuable lessons from it but it doesn't automatically mean um because have not immediately
0: validated yeah i agree i, no. I agree
1: and so and, and it can be put on a pedestal people put on a bit of a pedestal like say elite athletes or military or business or whatever it is when the amount of people that i kind of i think just working with people now that when you really hear about the lives and the stuff that they do is people doing like incredible stuff that, you not know, on the face of it is is Maybe it's not as exciting as that or appears exciting. It's kind of like, you know, we talk about, I think there's a lot around i you've gone to war and serve your country. I don't know anyone in the British military, but it's a little bit different. The Americans are a bit different. British military, no one joined up because they were doing it for their country or any of this stuff. They joined because they wanted to join the military. There was no, you know, when we're going to Afghan, I don't know one person that was going out there because they wanted to make a difference. Because let's be honest, like the whole reason we're there is, um, so like a slightly, it's a whole different topic, but was challenging no doing yeah. it, yeah for that. Um, and then we kind of overlook like the job that nurses do on a daily basis, or people who work in the NHS is such a hard, taxing environment, like day in, day out. But you know it's not as perhaps like sexy, or you know there's not the jumping out of planeside so or all the rest of it. I'm maybe not articulating it as well, but what the point being, it just doesn't really matter all of this stuff just about trying to be that good person like thinking about other people trying to do the best that we can for ourselves and those around us and kind of letting go of these arbitrary measures of success or you know the societal expectations i I think just humanizing it just just Um... humanizing things more
0: Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the reasons that somebody would listen to somebody like yourself about mindset is that you have that background, of course, which validates it to some extent in terms of the the package that a message comes in does matter. There's no two ways about it. Yeah. But equally, you are bringing that thoughtful element there, like the like, like you've just like you've just explained, where it's a lot easier to listen to somebody who has that level of awareness about both their self, their own role, and society's general standings and you're able to then talk about, oh, well, well actually it's not massively important that I served in the forces, but what I'm telling you about mindset comes from a place, yes, I've learned some of these things in the forces, but I've also worked on them massively in other aspects of my life to allow me to communicate them to you, who potentially the vast majority of your clients will never have been in the military, and it doesn't matter that you're in the military, but it, what it does matter is you're able to help them with an element of the life that they need support with.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. And it's, yeah, I, it, it does matter and it's massively helped. I think it's actually an interesting point. I'd say, like I said, I love the military and had a great career, but I definitely feel like we've done far more and helped far more people with T and E and the people we work with than anything i ever did in the military, but being in the military helps facilitate this. Cause like you said, it gives the credibility and the reach, even if necessarily a lot of the stuff I'm teaching is basically everything I learned after it and just retrospectively use stories to illustrate it. I think the wider point I was sort of trying to make, and maybe a better way to see it, is that it's something that happened recently in the last couple of days. On the whole, it doesn't really matter. So my partner is just, um, she is, uh, or was a nurse, and is now doing, she does like uh, work for a humanitarian um, organization, UK Med, and she's just gone out to Turkey uh, a couple of days ago, and she just texted yesterday. And they've just, you know, she's just speaking um, to someone. They just pulled an infant basically out of the rubble, like a baby. And all of her her brothers and her parents were all killed. So this infant basically is, they're going to have no memory of her family. Like she was just lucky enough to survive. And it's stuff like that happening all the time around the world. And just when you step back, you're like, that's what I mean by it just doesn't matter. Um, You know, doing what we can each day and I'm not saying don't strive for success and do these things, but just bringing that perspective back to it. Like, it doesn't matter in reality what level anyone gets in the military, they're all valid jobs. It doesn't matter, you know, with business, whether you become a billionaire or you just make enough to have that nice lifestyle or just new work, whatever it is. It's just, I think, grounding yourself again in that the humans, you know, we're all humans, we're all on this planet for a short period of time, just trying to get along and do our thing. Mm. And really, all of us. Any of us, any, all of us are looking for is that happiness and satisfaction. And that generally does come from the relationships we have and the experiences we're having. And if we're not being aware of that and missing that, then we're missing out really on life and what life's about.
0: It's a very, very powerful perspective and it definitely links into what you were talking about in terms of those simple pleasures. When you go for a walk with your dog in the morning, regardless of the conditions, you you battle through the cold water to set, set yourself up for the day. You enjoy the training session that you have and you come back and you spend time. Like you say, you get to talk to your, your partner who's pursuing a really noble, uh, noble mission at this moment in time. But Simon, thank you very much for, for your time. I've absolutely loved the conversation. I'm sure the listeners have as well. Where should they head towards to continue the conversation with you?
1: Uh, So you can find any of our stuff on, it's The Natural Edge on um, Instagram. We've just started a YouTube as well. It's Simon Jeffries on LinkedIn. And then our website's uh, thenaturaledge.com.
0: Perfect. That'll be linked in the show notes. Thank you very much to you, the listener. And I'll be back to speak to you all again very, very soon.